Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. In November 2019, the Progressive Magazine hosted an event entitled Conversations on a Progressive Future with Noam Chomsky and David Barsamian at Pima Community College's Presenium Theater in Tucson. Today, we continue with part two of a multi-part series. Considered the founder of modern linguistics, Noam Chomsky joined the UA faculty in fall 2017, where he is a laureate professor in the Department of Linguistics in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. He is also the Agnes Noam's Hari Chair in the Agnes Noam's Howry Program in Environment and Social Justice. Dr. Noam Chomsky, Professor Emeritus at MIT, has introduced the world to ideas that have excited, incited, and challenged millions. His groundbreaking work in linguistics and his fearless engagements in politics, culture, history, and philosophy have profoundly impacted generations of students, scholars, community activists, and members of the public across and within political and ideological divides. Investigative journalist David Barsamian hosts the nationally syndicated show Alternative Radio and has co-authored books with Noam Chomsky, Akbal Ahmad, Howard Zinn, Tariq Ali, Richard Wolf, Arundhati Roy, and Edward Said. His latest books are with Noam Chomsky, Global Discontents, Rising Threats to Democracy, and Edward Said, Culture and Resistance. He lectures on world affairs, imperialism, capitalism, propaganda, the media, and global rebellions. Norman Stockwell is publisher of The Progressive. Since 1909, The Progressive has amplified voices of dissent and those underrepresented in the mainstream with a goal of championing grassroots progressive politics. In part two of this multi-part series, David Barsamian begins by referring to his parents and Noam Chomsky's parents being immigrants, and then they talk about immigration today. Now, my parents uh, were immigrants. Your father was an immigrant. Your mother came here at a very young age. Was she she born in the U.S.? One year old, yeah. She was one year old when she came. Um, We're sitting here in Tucson, 60 miles from the Mexican border, And things are going on there that can scarcely be believed, not just there, but all across uh, the country with the setting up of detention camps and the separation of uh, children from their parents. How are they getting away with this? How? How are they getting, how is the administration in Washington getting away with this? I mean, where is the outcry? Where is the indignation and anger? Well, actually here in Tucson, as you all know, uh, there is a, a reaction, a, a courageous reaction. P- people like the uh, No More Deaths group, for example, and others are reacting properly. And they do have, I'm sure you're aware, a fair amount of uh, popular support here. But you're true, around the country it's not happening. And we can find out why easily, right nearby. Uh, I don't know how many of you read the uh, online uh, Tucson Sentinel, a pretty good newspaper actually. Uh, they had a report a couple of, probably one or two months ago, I guess, very interesting report 
Steve Bannon was visiting uh, the area. He was going to a gated community, luxurious gated community, south of Tucson. And the goal was to raise money to privately build a wall. Of course, the government wasn't doing it. And uh, the uh, reporter got into the meeting somehow and gave a careful description of people's reactions, which were pretty interesting. People in this rich gated community, which is probably the most secure place in the, in the entire world, are terrified. They're afraid that uh, an invasion is coming of uh, the rapists, uh, murderers, Islamic terrorists, uh, who are gonna carry out uh, genocide against the white race. And they gotta do something about it. One of the people there who's actually a state legislator from, not from here, I think from Colorado or somewhere, suggested that we not only, that Arizona not only build a wall uh, at the border, but also at the California border, because we don't want those people coming here. You know. you know, we can laugh at this, but this is real. People are really frightened and terrified. This is an old story in the United States. It's, it's been the most secure country in the world as far back as you can go until since the War of 1812. But it's probably one of the most frightened countries in the world. It's very easy to arouse the population to fear, extreme fear. That's happened over and over. Uh, in recent years, you'll recall when the propaganda began to try to build up support for the invasion of Iraq, it was effective. Uh, people were afraid we gotta stop Saddam before he kills us, you know. Uh, you take a look at international polls, there was almost no support for the invasion. Practically nothing, barely reached 10% anywhere. The United States, it was real. Uh, when Condoleezza Rice uh, gave that speech about uh, the next thing we'll hear from Saddam is a mushroom cloud over New York, people didn't laugh. Uh, when uh, the propaganda every day, you see it every day about how Iran is the greatest threat to world peace, uh, uh, they're gonna attack us, we gotta prevent them from doing this. Uh, and people don't collapse in laughter, they take it seriously. You take a look at the facts, it's beyond ridicule. You know, uh, but it goes on because people are afraid. Uh, well, the so. techniques of propaganda, simple messages repeated over and over again, lock her up, drain, drain the swamp, build the wall, um, etc. Well, unfortunately, it's true. It goes way back in history. Uh, you can even see the reasons for it. I mean, just take a look at American history. The United States is maybe the only country in the world that's been at war almost every year since its founding. People talk these days about endless wars, meaning Afghanistan, but that's kind of misleading. I try to find a year when the United States was not at war. Starting in uh, 1783, you know, right away, remember one of the main reasons for the American Revolution they don't teach this in the schools, but it's clear, is a declaration that was made by King George III, Royal Proclamation in 
1763, which banned settlement beyond the Allegheny Mountains, okay, in what was called Indian country. So the Indian nations were to be protected by the British from uh, expansion by the settlers. They weren't having any of that. The colonists wanted to move west. That included huge land speculators like George Washington, one of the biggest speculators, wanted to pick up land in the west. Uh, in, in, in what, the, what was called in the Constitutional Convention, vacant country, meaning the country of the Indian nations. Uh, Washington launched a war against the uh, Iroquois during the, uh, the war with the British. Uh, it went on. As soon as the as independence was declared, immediately the barrier was gone. The war started against the Indian nations. I don't have to recount the history. I'm sure you know it. But right to the end of the 19th century, there was constant aggression, uh, extermination. It's the word that the founders used, uh, virtual genocide. Finally, the Indian nations were what remained of them were confined to small areas, of treaties broken and so on. I don't have to tell you that we're living in what was Mexico, conquered in a war of aggression. Ulysses S. Grant, general president, fought in the war as a junior officer, described it as one of the most wicked wars in history, conquering the Southwest and the West. Uh, by the late 19th century, the U.S. was already intervening uh, substantially in, uh, in the Caribbean and Central America. Uh, by the 20th century, it's just one war after another, almost without a stop. Well, if you're constantly at war with somebody, you tend to be afraid. Maybe they'll come back and do something to us. You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. In addition to that, the United States was, of course, a slave state. Uh, All of the founders, with one exception, John Adams, were slave owners. Uh, Virginia was the center of power in the early years of the country. Virginia was not only a slave state, it was the producer of slaves. The leaders in Virginia were in favor of the uh, uh, law banning banning the slave trade. It was 1808, roughly. They were in favor of that because Virginia was producing a surplus of slaves, more than it could use. And it didn't want it wanted them to be sent out to Georgia and Mississippi to the West so they could sell them. So they didn't want the competition from Africa. So they favored the banning of the slave trade. If you take a look at the demography, there were states like South Carolina where the slaves actually outnumbered the, um, the white population. There were slave rebellions right through the 18th century. Haiti terrified the United States. This was the first free country of free men, of course, in the Western Hemisphere. And it was slaves who overthrew the, in that case, French uh, uh, colonial masters. 
this, the idea that this would have a demonstration effect, which recent years called a domino effect, uh, and inflame slave rebellions here was very serious. So yes, you had to be afraid of them. Uh, that went on. Actually, it never really ended, because after the Civil War, there was a brief period of reconstruction, but then something like slavery was reintroduced in other forms, and you still needed force to control the subject population, and there was always concern that they might react. So I think if you look deep into American history, there are pretty good reasons for the fear. By the 20th century, it had no basis in fact, but uh, it's pretty easy for demagogues to conjure it up to try to divert attention away from the real issues. We're seeing that dramatically as with our current leader. Uh, it's happening in Europe, uh, uh, Orban, uh, Salvini, uh, the rest of this collection of gangsters, uh, constantly stirring up uh, hatred and fear of uh, alleged uh, dangers to try to divert attention from what they're actually doing to their countries. They're not the first in history to invent that, incidentally. When we last uh, talked in late May, you said that if the Democrats move to impeachment, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. You called impeachment a trap. Well, the Democrats have formally moved on impeachment. Have your views changed in light of recent developments? Well, we don't know for certain. Your guess is as good as mine. but. My expectation is uh, uh, that the House will impeach, the Senate will reject it. I doubt very much that you can find enough Republican senators with a bit of principle. They all know that he's, Trump is impeachable a hundred times over, but uh, do they want to face Trump's uh, adoring uh, militant base? Not many will. So I suspect they'll go along. He'll be freed. He can then make you know, a triumphant speech about how the tribune of the people, the man who's standing up for the common guy, uh, once again overthrew the deep state and the treacherous Democrats and must march on to victory. I suspect that's what will happen. I hope but, I'm wrong. Yeah, there's some similarity with Watergate that you've pointed out. Yeah. Talk about that. That's exactly what I expected from the Miller inquiry. It seemed to me the Democrats were on a suicide mission. Um, it was pretty clear in advance that nothing of any great significance was going to come out of the Miller inquiry. But the uh, liberal Democrats invested so much in hoping that somehow this would save them you know, uh, from the disaster that they had created for themselves, that when it turned out that there was not all that much there, uh, they were, uh, they provided a huge victory to Trump. I mean, if you think about interference, uh, the whole matter is, a, it's pretty hard to take seriously. I mean, suppose there was some Russian interference. I mean, it would be almost invisible in comparison to the huge interference of uh, simply buying elections. Uh, there's very extensive and very convincing work 
showing that electability to the presidency or Congress is very highly predictable from the single variable of campaign spending. The Thomas Ferguson, a friend of ours, a great political scientist, uh, has been publishing on this for years. He just came out a couple of days ago with a new paper, which is the most uh, very careful analysis of congressional elections over about, I think, 40 years. And the predictability is just incredible. That's massive interference with elections. It's gotten much worse in recent years because of the decisions of the reactionary Supreme Court, but it goes way back. That's why the Sanders achievement was so spectacular. It broke with this. Uh, but uh, you know, in the face of that kind of interference with elections, which is just the beginning, I should say, because as I mentioned, during the neoliberal period since the 70s, there's been an enormous expansion of lobbyists uh, who have an, a, a tremendous impact on, uh, on uh, the, the form and the nature of legislation. Uh, this is both at the national level and at the state level. You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. There's an insidious uh, uh, aid, uh, uh, organization, ALEC, uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, which kind of operates quietly, but it has the support of a wide range of the corporate system, really across the board. And what they're doing is quite clever. They're uh, trying to and succeeding in imposing legislation at the state level. What happens at the state level is very important for people's lives, but people don't know much about it. Uh, most people can't name their state representative in the state legislature. You know, it's not reported. You don't pay any attention to it. Just something that happens out there. And state legislators are much easier to buy than. Uh, congressional representatives doesn't take much money to win a, a, a state election. So what they're doing is uh, imposing identical legislative programs in states throughout the country to try to turn the country into an ultra-reactionary uh, society at the state level. And that includes, uh, incidentally, Arizona was singled out in one of their campaigns uh, to try to destroy the public education system. They want to do that everywhere. Public education system's just too democratic. Uh, there are many ways to undermine it, like defunding and so on. But they're trying to literally privatize it. And they thought that Arizona would be a kind of a soft spot. Maybe they could ram it through here. Uh, uh, other things they're doing are almost unimaginable. Uh, for example, there's, there's a billions of dollars every year of stolen wages, wage theft it's called. Employers simply don't pay their workers. Or uh, if they work overtime, they don't give them what it's due. Uh, one of Alec's main programs is to try to prevent even investigation of this, let alone punishment for it. And they do it at the state level, one after another. 
uh, one of their most insidious programs is to try to get states to pass, uh, to agree to uh, vote for a constitutional amendment for a balanced budget. You know what that means. A balanced budget at the federal level means you pour money into the Pentagon, you pour money into subsidies for the energy corporations, you cut everything else, okay? That's what's called a balanced budget. If that becomes a constitutional amendment, the effects are horrifying. And they're getting pretty close to the number of states who can do it, all under the radar. Not many people know about it. So all of this is going on at the federal level, at the state level. And we talk about uh, Russians, uh, uh, tiny uh, possible Russian influence somewhere. Um, it's a joke, uh, quite apart from the fact that the U.S. intervenes massively in elections all over the world, uh, perfectly openly, uh, even overthrowing government. Uh, also in Russia, 1996, uh, the Clinton administration very much wanted uh, Boris Yeltsin, their man, uh, to be elected uh, 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 president in Russia. And he was running badly in the polls, but they poured uh, expertise and money into it and managed to win the election for him. It wasn't secret. They were proud of it. I mean, uh, in the face of all of this, for us to be talking about the Russian or Chinese or Cuban or whatever influence in U.S. elections is another sign of this same kind of paranoia that shows up in the gated community when they think they have to be protected from an invasion from across the border. It's, uh, it's, we're not the only country in history where the population has been deluded by massive propaganda. Uh, take, say, Germany. Just think about Germany. It's very striking. In the 1920s, Germany was the absolute peak of Western civilization. In the sciences, in the arts, it was considered the leading political democracy in the world, had a very rich tradition. What was it 10 years later? It was the absolute depths of human history. 10 years after that, it's uh, becoming a significant uh, civilized cultural center again. Uh, strange things happen. Uh, we're not immune to them. and have to be frightened about them. Goebbels, who was uh, Hitler's propaganda minister and regarded as a kind of um, you know, brilliant strategist, he said, even though negative things were being said about Hitler and the Nazis, he said, the main thing is they're talking about us. Now, you've described the present occupant of the Oval Office as a narcissistic, narcissistic megalomaniac, which is rather unusual for you. You usually don't uh, label uh, politicians so baldly as that. But all the attention that's being focused on him seems to just energize him even more. Well, it's been, I mean, it's by now pretty well recognized that uh the major television networks that gave him a tremendous gift in the uh, uh, 16, the last election campaign. And they, as you recall, they bragged about it 
I think it was the head of Leslie Monvies, the head of CBS. Yeah. He's the greatest thing that ever happened to our ratings, you know. But it might and, be uh, bad for the country, he said. <laughs> he said, as far as the country goes, Trump may be bad, but as far as CBS goes, it's great terrific, for yeah. profits. So they were giving him huge propaganda, and of course he, uh, he relishes that. Uh, he, the Trump administration's doing, you know, the, the, it's kind. Of, it's often described as, you know, a kind of fascism, which is a little bit glib. It doesn't rise to the level of fascism. Now, fascism, remember, had an ideology. The ideology is a state, a powerful state under the control of a, a single party, which controls the whole society. It sets, uh, it controls not only labor, uh, but business and everything else. Uh, we, we're very far from that. We don't have that ideology. Also, it uses force and violence to impose it. But some of the kind of appurtenances of fascism do appear here. Uh, one of them is the destruction of the information system. And this is not done just by propaganda. It's, it's done in a whether consciously or not, in a very effective way, by just eliminating the notion of truth. Just flood the information system with massive lies and deceit. Uh, anything that comes to mind when you're, in Trump's case, when he's watching Fox News in the morning and tweets it out, doesn't matter what it is, say anything. And then the fact checkers in the Washington Post uh, will write an article saying you had uh, 83 lies this morning. But it doesn't make any difference because it's, it's cheapening the concept of truth and fact so that people just have no idea what to believe. The fact and truth doesn't exist. It's just uh, it's a, it's a technique of propaganda that's extremely effective. And it's working. Uh, there, you know, and and the effects are lethal. I mean, we. I don't have to tell you that we're facing a major a crisis of uh, an environmental catastrophe, and a large part of the population here simply refuses to believe it. After all, their leader tells them every day it's not happening, and they adore their leader, uh, the man who stands up for them, so he claims, well, shafting most of them at every turn. But he's the leader, we have to follow him. He says it's not happening, it's not happening. About uh, uh, the last figures I saw, um, I think about uh, a quarter of Republicans regarded uh, global warming as a serious issue. Uh, many don't even believe it's happening. Uh, the, the consequences of that are beyond words. Uh, unless this changes, and changes very soon, uh, we don't have to bother talking about anything else because uh, organized human society will disappear uh, within a short period of time. Uh, that's what we're facing. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. The event was a benefit for the Progressive Magazine. This has been part two of a multi-part series. 
You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org. There you can also subscribe to the podcast and follow our social media links. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Shocker.